You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. I'm your host, Caroline Cartledge. Remember, if you'd like to join our discussion today, type your questions into the chat box. We like to answer as many questions as possible during our discussion. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Tedra Smith. Dr. Smith is an assistant professor here at the UAB School of Nursing. She's the specialty track coordinator for the pediatric nurse practitioner primary care track. She's also a pediatric nurse practitioner in the emergency department at Children's of Alabama. She has over 18 years of experience as a pediatric nurse and over 14 years of experience as a pediatric nurse practitioner. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you. It's I'm good so, to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here today. Absolutely. I'd love to just start by hearing uh, a little bit about your current practice in the emergency department. Okay. Well, currently I do practice at Children's of Alabama in the emergency department. Typically, I work in what we call our PEDS pathway. It's similar to an urgent care type setting where I see patients that are coming in with primary care conditions like runny nose, nasal congestion, cough, sneezing, mm -hmm. your simple injuries. Those are the types of things that I typically see. So with the winter um, kind of ramping up, seeing more um, bugs going around, mm -hmm. what are you seeing the most right now? Well, we've seen a, a rise in the flu currently over the past, I'd say, month and a mm -hmm. half, but we're steadily seeing a lot of sore throats, a lot of runny noses, a lot of your upper respiratory infections, your simple colds. So I'm seeing a lot of that right now, a lot of uh, cough with low-grade fevers. Those are the types of things that I'm beginning to see more. Absolutely. I know it's, it's ramping up. So with the seeing more conditions like that and um, thinking about nurses educating their mm -hmm. patients, um, what warning signs do parents and nurses need to be educated on uh, in terms of whether the child should be seen um, in an emergent setting or could go to their pediatrician? The major things that we worry about are difficulty breathing. So if your child is having difficulty breathing, some of the warning signs would be if they're kind of moving their shoulders up and down when they're breathing. Mm -hmm. or also, if you can look here in their neck, if you notice that they're kind of sucking in there, they're having trouble breathing. Your smaller babies, uh, when they're breathing with their stomach, if they're moving really fast, much faster than they typically do, then they're probably having difficulty breathing. Other things that we tend to worry about that require kind of urgent care being seen, dehydration. So signs of dehydration would include um, not urinating within eight hours. So if they don't have a wet diaper or if they're potty trained, they don't go to the potty within eight hours or they're not drinking much or you notice they cry, they don't have any tears. If they have a fever and they also have a stiff neck or a headache or saying that their neck is hurting, or abdominal pain, those are all reasons why they should um, seek kind of urgent emergent care. So I guess um, the flip side of that, if you don't aren't required to go to the emergency department, what kind of stuff do you feel like could wait for a pediatrician? Typically just your, your typical fever, um, you're given some over-the-counter medication and it's working, um, it's going down, they're still eating, they're still drinking, they're still somewhat playing and behaving as usual. That's probably something that can be seen in the primary care office. Another thing to keep in mind is the age of the child. Children less than three months of age that have fever anywhere from 100.4 or higher, they probably should be seen in an urgent emergent care type setting because they're more at risk for a bacterial infection. Or if your child has a um, 
autoimmune disease or if they're immune compromised, such mm -hmm. as your cancer patients, they want to be seen in an emergency type setting because they're more at risk for bacterial infections. But if you have a child that's over the age of three months, you're treating the fever, it's going down after about 30 minutes of giving the medication, they're playing, they're drinking as usual, eating, then they probably can see their primary care provider. Yeah, so you've talked a little bit about um, fever. Mm -hmm. So fever um, for parents, I know, can probably be kind of scary. It is very scary. But uh, yeah, I hear you saying that it's very normal for children to have fevers. And um, talk to us a little bit about, uh, do numbers matter in terms of fever? What's normal? We're more concerned about uh, a quickly progressing fever. So where you have a child that maybe has, for example, temperature 102, you give acetaminophen, ibuprofen, or something to decrease the temperature, and it doesn't, and it keeps going up. We're more concerned about that. Any temperature, like I said, for a child that's less than three months of age, 100.4 or higher, then they need to be seen, or anybody that has a temperature that's 104 or that has those accompanying symptoms like abdominal pain, mm -hmm. headache, stiff neck, those are times that we really worry. Fever actually is a good thing, and I know that sounds kind of oxymoron, but fever is kind of a good thing because it actually stimulates your body's inflammatory response and uh, kind of your body targets those microbial invaders to try to protect the rest of the body. And that's what is going on when you have a fever. It's really helpful to know. Yeah. I feel like it's it's scary when you see people you love with fevers and it, not It, it well. is very scary and I do understand, but it actually means your body is fighting for you. Mm, absolutely. Um, I hear parents often um, talking about antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, when should antibiotics be given? Um, when should we hold back? Well, antibiotics are really for bacterial infections. So like your strep throat, your otitis media, your ear infections, pneumonias can be um, benefit from antibiotics. Most colds, the flu, bronchiolitis, RSV, all of those things are caused by viruses which do not respond to antibiotics doesn't decrease the severity of it, doesn't decrease the length of how long you're going to be sick with the virus. They don't respond to antibiotics. And keeping in mind, if you do use an antibiotic for something that is a virus, it can actually decrease the effectiveness when you really do need an antibiotic. That can be scary. Yeah. Um, we actually have a question from our audience. Okay. Um, the question is, at what age can I give my child over-the-counter medications? Well, acetaminophen can be given uh, usually over the age of two months. You can use acetaminophen. Ibuprofen you shouldn't use until the child is greater than six months of age. Those two are the main medications that we use for, for fever-reducing medications. You don't want to use um, any cough syrups, decongestions, things like that, because those medications haven't been studied in use in children. Your adolescent population, yes, they can use those medications. They have been studied for that population. But your kids, less than 12, you don't want to use any cough medications over the counter. Then you have your things like your antihistamines, like your Zyrtec and Claritin. I would recommend that you touch bases with your healthcare provider to see if that's something they want you to use. We use that a lot if it's more allergy na in nature versus just your typical winter cold. 
So in hearing you talk about over-the-counter medications, I know even when you walk down the aisle at Target or wherever mm -hmm. you are, there are so many options. There are so, so many options. So many boxes. Yes. yes. Um, and they all look alike. Yes, and it's very confusing mm -hmm. um, even for um, people who are in the medical community mm -hmm. to see mm -hmm. the variety that's out there. Um, what do nurses and what do healthcare providers need to make sure that parents know? My number one thing is for them to read the box because as you said, there's many different, um, on the counter, there's many different ones. And so they all look very similar, but there's like children's version, there's a adult version, there's like infant versions of it. So you wanna make sure they read the box and they wanna see the age. The age is typically printed at the very top of the box. So make sure they use the age that's for their child. And then if they turn on the back, usually there's a um, age range on the back that also tells them how much of the medication to take. And also, typically they're gonna all come with a medicine cup on the bottle that relates to whatever milliliters that they wanted um, that age group to take. So I would say make sure they use that medicine cup. Don't use a regular teaspoon or tablespoon at home. Try to use the medicine cup that actually came with the medication. And if they have a child that's really young, doesn't really quite understand drinking from the little cup or doesn't want to, they can always go to the pharmacist and ask for a syringe to see if they will give them a syringe that's kind of the equivalent. And those are free? Typically they're free and wow. they'll give them to you for free. That's really great. Yeah, it's really great. So we actually have another question from the audience um, and it actually touches on antibiotics mm -hmm. um, that we were talking about before. Um, the question is, what do you tell a parent when they insist on getting an antibiotic, but you know that the child does not need it? I think it's education. It goes back to education of what antibiotics are for and the risk you run into if you prescribe an antibiotic um, for a viral illness versus a bacterial illness. We've seen a lot lately where some of the antibiotics that we've been using for years are not as effective anymore because they've been given for viruses. So just educating on the purpose of the antibiotic, telling them to return if the symptoms don't get any better or if they get worse, just uh, letting them know that you're available via phone call if needed, if they have concerns, if it seems like their child isn't getting any better. So it's not one and done. But it's not one and done. It's really about building that trust and relationship so that they trust you and they understand and they they understand signs and symptoms to come back to the office for or to seek emergent care for. Um, that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. We actually have another question from okay. our audience, um, and it's how aggressive are you in treating fever in young patients? Balancing the positive effects of a low-grade fever versus the malaise fever that can cause that fever can cause in the child. I would recommend anytime your child having a fever to try the over-the-counter medications, um, to try some home remedy things like uh, lukewarm baths, um, hydra staying hydrated, all of those things are very important. We actually have some people that will come in sometimes and say, oh, we didn't treat the fever because we wanted you to see what it was. Well, if you don't treat it, it can keep going higher and higher, and then you can run into some, some other health issues that could have been prevented if you treated the fever. So I am a big proponent of, if your child has a fever, treating it, but also calling your primary care provider to let them know and to get their advice on your next step. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it seems that everyone gets sick in the winter months and that's mm -hmm. when you know mm -hmm. your neighbor is sick and your family is sick. 
Um, how often should we expect children to be sick in the winter months? Most children can expect anywhere from seven to 10 like viruses throughout the winter months. It's very common. Um, it doesn't mean they're always gonna be severe. They can range from mild to moderate to severe, but you can expect anywhere from seven to 10. They're in daycare settings, they're in school settings, they're in close contact with each other, they're spreading germs. So it's not very uncommon, it's just the severity may vary. I actually have a four-year-old, he has kind of the sniffles right now and a little bit of cough, but he's still happy and playful and eating and drinking. But he's also in a daycare setting where he's around other kids his age, some younger, some older. So um, it's kind of one of those inevitable things. They're going to touch each other and play with each other and touch the same toys. And even though you sanitize and do the best you can, you can expect anywhere from 7 to 10. That's a lot. They're just sharing uh, germs. <laughs> well, it seems like a lot, but it's... It's just normal. It's just normal. The severity is not going to be the same each time. Right. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, so how do we tell um, as um, parents and nurses mm -hmm. whether children have a cold or whether they have the flu? Well, the symptoms are very similar. So with the flu, you can also have the same symptoms as the cold, such as the runny nose, the coughing, the sneezing, the fever. Things that you look for in the flu are typically they're going to have muscle ache, body aches. Um, they can also be very irritable. They're tired. They're fatigued more than just with a typical cold, especially after you are treating the fever and they're staying hydrated. Um, we've also been seeing a lot of vomiting with flu this year uh, as opposed to last year, but we're seeing a lot more people that are coming in with all of those symptoms as well as vomiting. So people talk often about the flu vaccine mm -hmm. um, when they talk about colds versus flu, should I vaccinate my child? Mm -hmm. um, in vaccinating your children against the flu, is there a certain time period where that needs to be done um, where the child won't be affected or is, is it too late in the year for for children to be vaccinated? It's not too late. Uh, we, we recommend it at the beginning of the flu season, um, but it's not too late. The flu season can actually go into um, late April, early May, so we still highly encourage if you haven't. The flu mist is also available, and I know last year one of the hesitancies was their child had to get a shot with a needle, but the flu mist is available for any children over the age of two, and that just goes in the nose, the intranasal. That's nice, they don't have to be poked. Yeah, and one other thing when we were talking about reasons to go to the emergency room, I wanted to um, bring up the topic of anytime there's coughing up blood or vomiting blood, they also should come to the emergency department for that because sometimes you can't see a little blood. Sometimes that may be from drainage coming from somewhere else, but anytime you see blood in a cough, you wanna go make sure it's not something more serious. Important to be evaluated. Yeah. So I hear people discussing frequently the use of essential oils or even mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. alternative methods to treating their children, especially in those younger children mm -hmm. that can't take these over-the-counter medications. Um, what would you say to these types of treatments? Well, there's not many medical studies that support the use of essential oils, especially in children. So I would say consult your primary care provider to get their advice on it before you use it. Um, a lot of the studies that have been done have been done in adult patients. And so I just wouldn't recommend it unless you 
speak with your healthcare provider and get their advice beforehand. That's great advice, mm -hmm. especially I'm sure they know their individual patients and right. know they, their health conditions. Right, they know their health conditions. There's other things involved within use, using essential oils. So I just recommend anytime you want to use something that hasn't already been recommended by your primary care provider to kind of call them, get their advice, or talk about it on your visit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We have another question from our audience. Uh, the question is, are there additional resources for school nurses? There are all types of pamphlets and things you can print out from the CDC's, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Also, the American Academy of Pediatrics has lots of inf information. And then kidshealth.org also has a lot of information for providers as well as parental. They'll have it in a parent-friendly reading version as well. Oh, wow. So mm -hmm. even other nurses could go there for information as well as even when you're at home trying to take care of children. Right. Correct. That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've also kind of um, piggybacking a little bit, talking about essential oils, but um, discussing vitamins. Mm -hmm. um, should we increase the use of vitamins um, in our children in the winter? Should children take vitamins? Currently, um, the medical studies should suggest that the use of vitamins when the child actually has a cold um, doesn't decrease the severity, doesn't decrease the number of times they're going to get sick throughout the year. Typically, the normal amounts of vitamins and minerals that you need as a child, you're going to get in the food and liquids that you take in from day to day. So there's not much um, research that supports extra use of vitamin C or vitamin D throughout the winter months. That's interesting. Um, you know so much about <laughs> children and um, know so much about caring for them. Are there any specific guidelines, um, like hard and fast rules, for when you do diagnose children with these different conditions that present similarly? Um, tell us about how you make those decisions. And well, there's a lot of medical studies that have been done that kind of guide practice. Um, there's also things that I talked about being on the um, CDC website and the American Academy of Pediatrics that we refer to and staying current in the literature. There are studies being done every day. So we, as professionals, we're reading, we're staying up to date. And then there's also our experience and just our clinical knowledge and things that we see. A lot of these disease processes and illnesses we're, we see constantly every year, year after year. And so you kind of build your own knowledge base around it. Absolutely. Um, when children do get sick, seven to ten times in the winter, um, do are there certain rules for when uh, parents should send their child back to daycare or back to school, um, even if they still have that runny nose, even if they're still playing? What are our rules concerning that? Well, each daycare and school is going to have their own rules, but typically 24-hour rule is the, is the most common thing, 24 hours without fever. So if you have a fever at 5 o'clock today, you treat it, you say you check your temperature again at 6 o'clock and you don't, well, 6 o'clock the next day is when you can return to school barring that you don't give any uh, fever-reducing medication throughout that 24-hour period. So that 5 o'clock would be the last time they had Tylenol, and then they would need to go 24 hours medication-free. Mm -hmm. Wow. And the last documented fever. So is there anything that parents can do to prevent these illnesses in children? Well, we educate about hand hygiene, so making sure they wash their hands with soap and water. You can use the alcohol-based sanitizer if needed, but keep in mind alcohol-based sanitizers have alcohol, so your younger children that may be putting their fingers in their mouth, you wouldn't want to use that. You, they should wash their hands anytime before they eat. 
They should wash their hands anytime they've gone outside and come in, anytime they may blow their nose. Um, anytime the hands look soiled, they should wash their hands. A lot of times you can get them to sing the happy birthday song uh, and get them to wash front and back under their nails. Another thing I would say is clip the nails. A lot of germs get under the nails and so parents don't necessarily think about that and so they can transport it that way. Using a tissue to sneeze in or to cough with versus just your bare hand, you're gonna catch a lot of those germs in the tissue that you can throw away and then wash the hands. Um, sanitizing the area and toys that they play with is important. Staying at home. If they're ill, stay at home away from other people so they don't get ill. Also, if you know someone is ill, you know, don't visit them. It's okay typically to go to school with a runny nose and just a regular cough. It's usually the fever that is more concerning. You know, when you go out shopping, a lot of your shopping areas now have the hand wipes that you can use to wipe the shopping carts and things with. So I would say take advantage of that. I've seen parents have the cloth overlays mm -hmm. that have the little leg holes for children mm -hmm. um, in the front of the buggy. Um, what do you think about those? I think those are great. I wish I would have invented them, but I think they're great. <laughs> Typically, they have toys on them where the kids are easily distracted, but you can clean off the cart and then put that on there, and it helps prevent them from any viruses that may be on the shopping cart. You do have to remember, though, those do need to be washed um, to make sure they stay clean because you are putting the bottom half on um, where the germs would be. So absolutely. you want to make sure you wash them after each use. Yeah, and then bringing that into your home. Right, so absolutely. right, right. Um, we actually have another question. Um, it is, what is your preferred modality for checking temperatures in young children, such as temporal, tympanic, oral, or rectal? So the younger population, I would recommend checking the rectal is, is most accurate. But if you have an older child that's probably not going to prefer you do that. Probably over the age of two, they're not going to let you check a rectal temp. I would say oral if they will hold it in their mouth. If not, we typically will do axillary. But whatever you have available uh, will work just fine, but those are what we typically recommend. Absolutely. Um, well, it's been so fun to talk with you today. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to hear any, you know, thinking about um, whoever may be watching, mm -hmm. um, parents, healthcare providers, nurses, um, what kind of things do you want us to take away from this um, in caring for our children in the winter months? Most importantly, education on hand hygiene. Um, that's very important to prevent the spread of germs. Um, you're gonna get sick, the viruses are gonna come, especially for children, because they are so close to contact with each other, spreading germs. So hand hygiene, staying abreast of uh, paying attention to the symptoms. If they're getting worse, if something doesn't seem quite right, then making sure you seek out care. Um, I would say, you know, temperatures that last um, two to three days, you should probably make an appointment with your primary care doctor's office or nurse practitioner office. If you notice they're having difficulty breathing, the signs and symptoms of dehydration, then I would get them in to see quickly. Or if they have some other chronic health care problem, I would be more aware of getting them treatment quickly. But know that antibiotics aren't going to work for viruses, but you would want to be seen to make sure it's a virus versus a bacteria. Absolutely. Infection. I'm curious, um, talking about dehydration, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know that babies um, usually only have formula or breast milk mm -hmm. um, until a certain age, um, and then even into your toddlers. 
do is it important what they drink or can we give them anything that they will drink what do you recommend to try to avoid dehydration when when children do get sick you still want to avoid your sugary drinks like your juices and things like that your sports drinks and things like that so Pedialyte, water, they can have their milk and formula if they will tolerate it. Um, children that sometimes won't eat will recommend um, popsicles, but they do have Pedialyte popsicles. If they won't take those kind of things, but they'll take like Gatorade, then you want to mix it with water because Gatorade and Powerade, things like that, do have sugar content in them. So you want to make sure you kind of do have Gatorade, have water. Um, but most kids will take tolerate some Pedialyte if you have it. Well, are popsicles okay? Popsicles yeah. are okay. There are Pedialyte popsicles, but oh, you want to, wow. you should read on the bag to see how much sugar content is in them and get, get the one with the lowest amount of sugar in them. But yes, if they, if that's the only thing they'll take, then yes, give it to them to keep them hydrated. And I would say in those situations where your child is sick and they're not wanting to drink, offer them something every one to two hours to drink to try to get make them stay hydrated. Just put it in front of them, have put it available. Put it in front of them, have it available, offer it to them to try to get them to take a few sips every couple of hours. So we're concerned, um, just wanting to clarify and um, honestly just learn myself, but um, after two or three days of fever, of mm -hmm. feeling bad, um, not getting better mm -hmm. is when we want to make sure that it's not something more important. Right. I would at least call my primary care provider's office, make an appointment um, at that point just to make sure it's not something else going on. Mm. That's if helpful. They're, if they're eating, drinking, it's just a runny nose, no fever, they're probably, it's probably a virus, but if they have the extra, the fever with it, you're giving them acetaminophen or ibuprofen and it's decreases, but they're still feeling bad, not getting any better, and you're concerned, I would say call and make an appointment. I tell parents they're the expert of their child. Every child's gonna respond a little bit different, so they wanna watch their child and see, mm, they're getting worse to me, they're not acting quite right, then you wanna go ahead and make a visit and get them seen. Absolutely, I'm sure that Parents know if they have a quiet child or know if the child is used to playing outside right, and running exactly, around. And exactly. It's probably hard to tell that in a 20-minute visit. Right, right. So you just want to make sure that you're attentive to the signs and symptoms that they're showing and if they're getting worse or not. Fever is really scary, as we said before, is really scary, especially when you're giving medication to treat it and it's not um, decreasing or you feel like, oh, it's been more than two or three days that they've had this. So it's important that you get it seen. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, I did have one other question that um, popped in my mind. Okay. Um, talking about um, croup. We've talked a lot about these mm -hmm. viruses and their signs and symptoms, but um, I have personally heard children have that, that croupy, barky cough, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's scary. Um, is that an emergent condition? It, it is very scary, and it is. A lot of times with croup, you will hear uh, them funny breathing, making funny noises while they're breathing, and so that is something that you should um, get them seen. A lot of times, um, because croup is really just inflammation and swelling, a lot of times in the winter months, you'll go outside and they'll breathe in cool air and it'll decrease, or you'll put, go in a steam bathroom and it'll decrease. But anytime you see them struggling to breathe, then they should be seen for that. 
So it really can be a steam or cold. It can be either one. It could be either one. That's very surprising. It could be either one. Sometimes we tell parents to, to go sit on the front porch or back porch, especially if they're just having the barky cough, but they're not having any difficulty breathing, no funny noises with it. But if they start having what we call strider, that funny noise, that funny breathing, then yes, they need to be seen. It, I'm sure it can go from them being fine to having trouble breathing um, kind of quickly. Very quickly. A lot of times parents say, well, when I put him to bed, he didn't have any coughing at all. And that's usually what we see with the presentation of croup, that it just occurs in the middle of the night. I'm sure that's scary for, yeah. for providers. Very scary. Um, well, Dr. Smith, it has just been a pleasure talking to you. Um, you. We've talked about takeaways. We've talked about resources. I've learned so much myself about taking care of these children. And um, I look forward um, to hearing more uh, from you in the future. Um, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.